Hello and welcome to Lioness Podcast with me, your host, <laughs> Jane Lyon. If this is your first time listening to my show, I am so honored that you're here listening, sharing your space and your energy with me. And if you are back, if you have been uh, listening to the last three episodes, <laughs> if you are an OG Lioness listener, wow. You have no idea what this means. Thank you so much. You know, I realize that I'm not, I'm not exactly promoting this podcast in the way that I should, right? Using that word should. Don't love using that word. Um, but that's the thing is that I've been wanting for like pretty much the whole last year, I've been wanting to start something like this. And... I keep putting it off, putting it off, not even able to say it. Like it took me so much courage to just tell my business coach, I want to start a podcast. Can you, you know, can you help me? Can you support me in this? And like sidebar, this is why we hire coaches to support us because we can get so caught up in our own heads telling us like, you can't do this. It's too complex. You don't have time. Everyone's doing it. Blah, blah, blah. Like your ego will give you all of the excuses to not step forward into the greater version of yourself, to not step forward into your genius. And that's why it is so important to have a coach or someone to hold you accountable, to help you step forward and also like help you figure out the steps. And what I didn't want to do with this podcast was spend weeks, time, trying to launch it, try to make sure that everybody knows about it, trying to make sure that the cover image is perfect, you know, all of it, trying to make sure that the editing is all perfect before I share it. I didn't want to put myself in a waiting room anymore to share this podcast. And I also didn't want me creating this to take away from like the service that I'm here to give, if that makes sense. Even though this show is also a service that I'm here to give, I just wanted to do it. You know, I just wanted to almost like slide it out there, just start sharing about it instead of put myself in this waiting room all summer long until I, it's perfect, until it's ready. Like the cover image is still so not what I want it to be. I designed that in five minutes. Um, you know, I'm still trying to figure out my flow here, which is also why I, I haven't had any guests on, but I am making a list of all the guests that I'm going to have on. And as I look at that list, I start to feel pretty excited. So, you know, right now I'm just, I am, I am in launch mode. So it feels good to just, I'm in launch mode for something else. You know, I'm, I'm sharing my baby, my, my new baby. I've had two babies. <laughs> one of them is called Sanctuary and the other one is called Devotion. And devotion is my new my newborn, and uh, this program has just been like such an initiation, and it's crazy because I never thought that running a business, running a yoga and healing business, or a healing and coaching business, whatever whatever it is that this business is, I never thought that the way that I made choices to run it and the way that I guided myself through my business would be so spiritual. And it probably sounds silly hearing me say that, but I, okay, I'll share something that's pretty personal with you guys. <sighs> and I think that this is an avenue of where I am practicing opening up even more because I am an open book. But in terms of my, like, religion, and even in terms of, like, my relationship and my sexuality, I, I'm still quite private. And I'm always curious about that, about why that is, you know? So, every day, I get up and, you know, I, I do my abhyanga, I take my dog out, I take a shower, whatever. But I, at some point, before I start work, I sit down. And I pray to a very specific Buddhist deity. Um, he's kind of like, if you're, if you're in my world, he's like the deity. He's not Buddha Shakyamuni. 
It's not green Tara. It's not Chenrezig. Every single day, I pray to Guru Rinpoche. And I, I, you probably don't even know what he looks like because he's so unknown in the outside world. But if you've been to Nepal, you have definitely seen statues of him everywhere, especially around Swayambhunath. So um, I just, well, he is what I guess I would call our patron saint, if I can use, you know, a Western phrase to describe that. Um, he is our, he is our guide. Um, yes, the Buddha Shakyamuni is the historical Buddha who, um, you know, did all of that work to bring us the Dharma, who walked the path of the yogi on his own to bring us his teachings. Um, but in Tibet, it was actually Padmasambhava, that is his Sanskrit name, Guru Rinpoche, who, who brought the teachings from, hmm, well, I guess I should make sure that I'm clear on this, because he was born in the Squaw Valley, um, kind of near Afghanistan, which is somewhere I really, really want to go. And then I believe he came from there through India and into Tibet, but I, I could be wrong, to bring... Buddhism to Tibet so he is like that that teacher you know and wow it feels it's interesting how vulnerable it feels to kind of share this information with you guys but I'm gonna need to get used to it because I just launched devotion where I am um you know I wasn't I'm not going to teach about Guru Rinpoche but I am going to teach about a lot of these historical yogis and Buddhas um so anyways he's my guide and I'm sure that you guys have heard me referring to my guide, my guides. I mean, I have all the Buddhas with me and many other saints and beings. Um, but Guru Rinpoche is always with me. And, and I even, I feel, I feel like emotion in my body. I feel this warmth and this love like blossom in my heart as I share this with you because it's so mystical the way that I feel his presence with me. So, actually he is who first told me to start teaching meditation. And I guess this kind of jumps right into the yogi story. It was a very specific day. We were doing Guru Rinpoche practice and I just felt this channel open up in my body. Like I just felt this energy from the top of my head down through the bottom of my body, down through the root, just this like opening. It was like this, like what we're, this is what we're talking about. The subtle, the subtle body, the channels just, I felt them open and I just felt his presence so strongly and it was such a beautiful experience. And I just, after that, I kept getting this, this push, this whisper, start teaching meditation, start teaching meditation, start teaching meditation. And Okay, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna end that story there, but I'd like to come back to it because that's when I started hearing this guidance, this guidance that's like, go to Thailand and do your yoga teacher training. You're gonna be back in Nepal in six months. Don't worry, you're gonna be back. Don't you cry, honey. This little voice that, that was saying, you just lost your server job. You just lost your job as a yoga teacher. The whole world is shutting down. Jane, you start praying for others and I will take care of you. And again, it, it brings this like emotion to my body because I, I feel that, I experience that, I know that mysticism and, I, and I, I yearn for others to feel that, to feel that incredible, you've lost your job, <laughs> the city's shutting down, a pandemic is taking over the earth, you're scared, but you're not. You're so calm and steadfast and knowing that right now, we are all being taken care of and all that I can do right now is pray for the benefit of others and practice for the benefit of others and stay in service. So, this last year has, this last two years has really brought me into deeper, deeper trust and knowing and listening. 
And yes, I have a business coach. Yes, we talk about strategies. Yes, I need to learn things in the 3D of how to network, of how to do outreach, of how to, you know, serve more people. But it's all through listening to my guide, to my good Rinpoche. And so this week, it's been an incredible spiritual experience because I have launched the, the, the biggest program offering that I've ever launched. Like, it's so scary, not only just because I'm setting my goals really, really high for this, but because of the content that I am being called to share. Again, it's not me. It's not Jane saying, you're ready to teach this. It is my guide saying, you are ready to teach this, please. And on top of that, on Sunday afternoon, I was saying goodbye to my teacher after just getting an incredible hour of interviewing him. I am the Sangha scribe, so I kind of have this, um, this, uh, what is the word, this responsibility, I guess, of, of keeping track of information, of stories, of teachings, and it's such a blessing to have that responsibility. And so when we finished up um, my hour of interviewing him and, um, he, he just was saying how he saw my new program and, and he's so proud of me and that um, I have his full support. And you guys have no idea what that meant to me, that somebody, like the, a Tibetan Buddhist master, sees my little yoga program on Instagram and says that he supports it. Oh, my God. So then I really knew, you know, this is going to be really good. And I have spent so much time in prayer because here's the thing, you guys, when you take a big step forward in your life, when you do something that makes you nervous, when you put yourself out there and it's scary, all of your fears and insecurities from this, past, this lifetime and from past lifetimes, they start to come up to the surface. So I'm wondering if you're listening, you know, if, if you're going through this now, it feels like a lot of people are, or if you've gone through this before, where you're deciding to take a big leap. You're deciding to make an upgrade in your life, to make a big step forward. And it feels like the weight of your fears and insecurities and self-doubts are grasping at you and pulling you down and trying to prevent you from taking any step forward. Have you ever felt that way? So, you know, to thrive in a situation like this, prayer and devotion and practice is so necessary. And every morning before I do any work, you know, sitting down and doing my practices, doing, it, it doesn't even have to be the whole nondro. It can just be meditating and sitting in prayer for a few minutes, you know, asking for that guidance, calling, calling that guidance in. And, and, and spending that time and that energy, I know that when I get up from my chair, I am a channel and a conduit for service. And my ego is not running the show. And from that place, I can just serve and serve and sell and sell and know that what I'm doing is, is, is just a higher calling. So I have spent a lot of time in prayer asking for these insecurities to be transmuted, asking for this fear to be transmuted, asking for my energetic body to be upgraded into a higher form of leadership, into a more wise teacher, into someone who is, who is ready, you know? Letting all these little fears and insecurities of mine just be transmuted, fired up, set on fire, and turn into light and excitement and, and, and that energy that propels you forward, right? <clears throat> and it's happening, you guys, as I'm recording this. It's Friday morning. Today is the last day of the early bird, and I have, I have my group. <laughs> I've hit my minimum. <laughs> 
like they came to me and now I've got you know two to three more weeks of calling in all of the other amazing yogi souls who are meant to join us and that's when I know that there's just there's something more mystical about this than just a business idea a project you know there's something bigger happening here so if you're listening the early bird pricing has ended but we can still get you in um, I would love, love, love to have you join us in devotion if it's something you're feeling called to. And, and if finances are an issue, I am offering two kinds of payment plans because I want it to be something that you can do because I know I'm so confident how much this will influence you as a, as a yoga practitioner, as a teacher, as a healer, as a coach. I'm so confident in that that I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get you into this. It's a gift that I want to give to you, you know? So I'm, I'm very honored and I'm very excited to be doing this work. Devotion initiates on the week of August 23rd. And um, it's pretty fun because right now we've got a few time zones going on. Um, we've got a Hawaii. We've got two girls in Europe, and then we've got, you know, people in the States in between. So it's been fun to see, like, which times we're going to do, which groups are going to be which groups. And uh, I'm just, if you're listening and you're meant to be in the group, I cannot wait to connect with you and see you and share all of this with you. So, yeah, it's pretty smoggy in Salt Lake City today, which is kind of hard for me. Um, I... I am an empath. We are all empaths, but I really, really identify as an empath. I don't really call myself that much because sometimes I feel like empath or even HSP, highly sensitive person, it has kind of a connotation of weakness. Sometimes it feels a little bit victim-y. I don't know if you ever feel that way. But the way that I identify with that label of being an empath is that I'm just extremely aware of the things that are happening around me. And I feel, and there's different ways that you are, that you experience being an empath. Everybody has different ways. And a way that I feel really, really sensitive is actually um, to the earth. And it's, 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 it's very hard to explain, but when there are um, massive weather events, when um, there's smog like this, when there's wildfires, when we have ice storms, when a disease, a pandemic breaks out, I, I feel, I feel the deep earth with me. Does that make sense? I feel like her wisdom is, is listening. And I feel this, this deep sorrow that is, it's very hard to explain. It's this grief that comes over me. And when I first started noticing it was that here in, here in Utah, right, we have massive weather events all the time. We have crazy, crazy snowstorms. And it's very normal. I grew up in the mountains and it was very normal for me. And it was fun as a kid to wake up and see like, I'd look out my window and all you'd see is white, like three, four feet of just fresh glittering white snow and everything's quiet snow holds sound so everything is like so quiet and snow reflects light everywhere so everything is so bright and it feels like heaven and as a kid growing up in my plush privileged neighborhood I was so excited to wake up to that and then as I you know got older and was on my spiritual journey and you know living in home my own homes with other people um, I would wake up on mornings of snowstorms, having no idea that a snowstorm happened because it's so quiet, right? You don't always know it. But waking up, feeling this grief in my body and feeling this grief that people are suffering. In Salt Lake City, we have a horrible homelessness issue. And, and I'm realizing that's not unique to Salt Lake City. It's a lot of cities. <sighs> And when we have these storms, people die. People freeze to death. And I have, um, 
not even not just when we have the storms just if you know temperatures drop below 14 at night there are people sleeping on the streets that can't survive that and I've actually experienced them driving to work one morning to open the restaurant seeing the police clear out a dead homeless person's body from the sidewalk in front of my restaurant downtown and they just left his shoes it was so weird they just left his boots there like this haunting memory of the man who froze to death that night god it's just so i'm sorry that <laughs> this this is the direction that, that this show is going but i feel so deeply when the earth is crying and when i look out my window right now and i can't even i can barely see the outline of the mountains because it's so smoggy right now i've been coughing all morning you can probably hear a little like raspiness in my throat it's toxic outside you guys it's toxic and we're in a valley so it's kind of like the way that the salt lake valley works is that it traps the air in and we're stuck with this smog and all the commuters that fill the valley with more smog and the industry up north that fills the valley with more smog and then it gets trapped it doesn't go anywhere because the mountains are so high that it just holds it this valley is like a perfect circle holding it and all we can do is wait for another storm to come or we can do what we did last march which was shut down the entire city and you guys Two weeks later, I had never seen such clear skies in this, in this city. I had never walked outside and taken such a fresh breath of air. Two weeks of not letting anyone commute anywhere, of being in lockdown, our air cleared. It was like a miracle. And I look outside now and I don't know why we didn't learn anything from that. So I guess I'm sharing with you a little bit of, you know, if you are an empathic person, if you are a highly sensitive person, if you feel others suffering so deeply, I just want you to know that you're supported and that there's nothing wrong with you and that you can learn to be really, really empowered. You can learn to be really, really empowered. And I'm really hopeful that if there's anything I can share with you through this podcast it's that it's okay to feel so deeply it's a good thing it's okay to cry it's a good thing it's okay to open your heart up to the suffering of the world and feel sadly about that that's okay but what we don't do is let that grief and suffering take away the light inside of our hearts we don't let it disempower us we don't become victimized. This is something I learned from my teacher. I'll never forget the day of the Sandy Hook shootings. I'm sorry, I'm like in such a mood. I'm just bringing up some really sad things today. But this is Buddhism, you guys. And I think this show will become quite Buddhist as we continue. I was just crushed, you know, you guys. It's like, I'm sure that you were too. All, every, it's, we're at a point now where we're like, oh, there was another shooting and we're almost less crushed because we're getting used to it. But, you know, the Sandy Hook, that was, that was a big deal. We hadn't been having these experiences. And, and that Sunday I was at the temple and my face was just that drawn, sad, depressed, defeated. And of course my teacher starts his lecture with talking about violence and all of this. And he looks over at me and my, like, if I could show you how, you know, my shoulders were probably really slumped. My face probably looked really just, just defeated, right? Because that's, that's how we feel sometimes. We just let that grief take us down. And he looked at me and he said, you, Tenzin, stop that. You stop that. Chin up, you are light. Turn on your light. Straighten up your back. There are people that are looking to you to keep on having hope, to feeling light, to believing in something better, to stay positive. There are people counting on you that are looking to you right now. 
And if they see you in this drawn, depressed, victimized space, they will go that way too. And that's not what you're here to do. Keep your light on. Stay in the light. And I wish that I could tell you exactly what he said because that definitely wasn't exactly what he said. But in that moment, like my whole energy shifted and I was like, right, I'm a bodhisattva now. I am a bodhisattva now and I have to stay in the light. And I can tell you guys, when the pandemic started, I wonder if you were online looking for people who would inspire you that it's going to be okay because I know I was. And I was seeing some leaders that I loved and I have since forgiven who I felt like were spreading more fear and more panic and they weren't being leaders. We needed leaders. And that experience helped me step into my leadership even more. And I am feeling called to actually share something with you guys right now, which I think my teacher would um, be perfectly happy with. I'd like you to know what the Bodhisattva vows are. Just the four vows of the Bodhisattva, not the specific refuge vows. But I'd like to read this to you. I just opened up my Pecha. As I told you, my Pecha is what keeps my, um, my sacred text, my prayers. And I just want to read this to you. And just This is what it means to be a Bodhisattva. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting to this place... God, every time I look outside, it is like now I cannot see the mountains. And my room has this like kind of yellow glow to it. You guys, this is, this is global warming. <laughs> okay, but I'm here as a bodhisattva. So these are my vows that I take every single day. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them. My delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to transcend them. Dharma gates, they're boundless, and I vow to enter them. Buddha's enlightened way, it's unsurpassable, and I vow to embody it. So I just want to pick that apart a little bit for you. Sentient beings are numberless. They're infinite beings, infinite beings on this planet. And I am here as a bodhisattva vowing to liberate them from their suffering. My delusions, my obscurations, my misperceptions, my projections, all of the little things that my mind does to keep me trapped, they're inexhaustible. There's, there's infinite ways. It will never end, that suffering of the mind. But I still vow to transcend it as much as I can. The gates of the Dharma, the teachings... The, the infinite aspects of the teachings are boundless. It's everywhere. It is, I love that it's boundless, it's open, it's not constricted. It's not stay in your box, it's expansive. It's rooted in emptiness and I vow to enter them. I vow to be in this boundless essence of, of the Dharma, of the teachings, of the way. And Buddha's enlightened way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. There is nothing more, uh, what is the word I want to use? There is nothing more potent, I guess, is the word that comes through, activating than, than the Buddha's enlightened way. Because I'm a Buddhist, right? So I follow his way. And I vow to embody the Buddha's way, the teachings of the Buddha, his enlightened being the seed of his enlightenment. I vow to embody that every day. So I just wanted to share that with you because like I said, I'm starting to feel more and more like we're all bodhisattvas. We all can do this work. We can all be here to liberate others from suffering. So I'd ask you, what are you doing today to serve others? How are you supporting others? How are you liberating others? The card I pulled this morning was Green Tara. And I love Green Tara because she is, she is who I really should, again, another should, be praying to every day. But I can't say that I've had as much practice with the Tara embodiment as, I've, as I have with others. So... Um, 
Tara came through today when I pulled a card from myself and she is like the female embodiment of feminine divine wisdom and telling the patriarchy, I will enlighten you. I do not need you to enlighten me. Thank you very much. She is that embodiment of through serving others, I liberate myself. So, and this is something in, am I bringing up AA again, even though I've never been to AA? <laughs> but they say in that program, you know, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're really having a hard day, go find someone else to help. Go find someone who's suffering more and see what you can do to support them and help them and hold space for them. Get out of your own mind, get out of your own ego, out of your own body and turn your services, turn your energy, your attention outward. And through supporting others, you're liberating yourself. And I cannot tell you how much growth has been catalyzed in my life through offering one-on-one -on -one Reiki, through my sanctuary program, through just holding space as a, as a teacher. It is amazing how much growth I have experienced for myself through serving others and how much healing I've gotten to experience from just sitting in space to heal with others. <sighs> so, I am realizing as I'm 30 minutes into this episode, that, um, gosh, and it just, I just want to give a shout out to, um, um, I want to give a shout out to, first of all, Emily, who, like, listens to this show immediately and posts it to her story and lets me know she loved it, like, <laughs> you have no idea what that means, and then I go listen to Emily's show, you guys, go listen to it, it's called Seeking Serenity, I love her voice. I love listening to her talk. So, And then I also just thought of Chelsea, and I wanted to shout you out because in my episode two, somehow it went for 80 minutes. Somehow, I don't know what happened. There's 40 minutes of quiet sound, and Chelsea and I are on a call, and she just goes, did you, did you realize that um, there's 40 minutes of quiet sound in your episode two? And I was like, I did realize that, like, it, it's so awkward, but I feel like you realize that once you listen, that it's not that long. And she's like, yeah, it's just that I, when I saw it was that long, I, I really like wanted to wait until I had plenty of time to really listen to it and give it my attention. And I was like, oh my gosh, that means so much to me that you were like, Jane made an 80 minute episode. I better make sure I got time to fully receive this. Like, ah. <sighs> Wow. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. So I just wanted to shout you guys out. Thank you for the love. Um, so yeah, where was I going with this? Thinking that I could tell you about my whole yogi story in two episodes and that I'm just like, here's part one and part two, here's the story. That was really naive, you guys, because I can't tell you about my first trip to Nepal. I can't tell you about my month in Thailand yoga teacher training. I can't tell you about my second trip to Nepal. I, I can't tell you about becoming a meditation teacher and getting my Reiki certification all in one session, all in one hour. So I apologize for thinking that I could deliver all of that to you and for setting that expectation. <laughs> so... What I'm going to do today is, you know, what I'm feeling called to is talking about when eventually I did decide to become a meditation teacher because I believe I ended the last episode with talking about how I just, I really devoted myself to this Buddhist temple and I really started to heal very quickly and um, it was not too long after I took refuge like literally not too long. And for anyone who takes refuge, I, I don't know if I have any listeners at this point who have taken refuge in, in Buddhism in the ways that we have, but everything falls apart after you take refuge. <laughs> All of your karma burns up and comes to the surface. That's at least what I believe. And I saw it happen with Bruna after she took refuge and, and I feel like, I just feel like it's a thing. 
after you take refuge and you fully convert to Buddhism and you take the Bodhisattva vow, all of your karma comes to the surface so that you can burn through it, so that you can start practicing it and clearing all of that karma. And that's what it felt like was happening to me. Like my life, I, everything started to fall apart. My relationship obviously was falling apart because he obviously wasn't digging how gay I was. Um, I was like unable to control my feelings for women at that point. I was going out all the time, drinking a ton. Like it's really interesting to see. <laughs> and I talked about this on my story or I, po I made a post the other day about this that like when I took refuge, my teacher, he didn't say like, you need to go sober up and do all of these things now. We, we take vows, and they're more than just the Bodhisattva vows, but one of them is the, I think it's the sixth precept that I, that I will not, and I am, I am paraphrasing right now, that I will not take any substances that make me get out of my mind, that make me lose touch with my mind, that make me break my vows. My teacher would give an example. If you drink one glass of wine and you're dancing on the tabletops, next time, just try a half a glass. And because again, he's not pushing us to change. He's not pushing sobriety on us. He says, commit to your practices and all of the rest will just fade away. At this point, I was still smoking cigarettes, drinking all the time, rolling spliffs every night, you know, just partying. I lived in Salt Lake City. It was very normal to just live this party lifestyle. And things were really, really hard. I was temporarily homeless. I didn't have anywhere to live. I was crashing on friends' couches. I had all, all the stuff that I needed was in my car. It was horribly uncomfortable. My parents did not see it coming. So many people did not, like, all of a sudden I'm a gay Buddhist. <laughs> And again, my coming out story will be for another episode, but yeah, everything was changing and it was the first time in my life that I was just really, really devoted to myself and my own truth and just like could not give an F-U-C-K about what anybody else thought. I just couldn't. And I'm always really, really proud of myself when I look back because I just, I sought refuge within myself is what I was doing and even those terrifying nights alone you know on my friends couches in my friends guest rooms like not knowing what I was gonna do I, I just had this trust and so time went by and I committed myself to obviously devoted myself to these practices and um, and and I think that a lot of my story of my yoga life it kind of started to propel when I, I was working in journalism for a magazine and um, it was not <laughs> paying me enough to live and I was looking for another job and like I was always wanting just something to connect me to a yoga studio in town because I really never felt like I had that connection with any places and I saw that a local place in town um, called 21st needed a front desk person and I um, applied knowing that the woman who owned that studio was my first yoga teacher, as I had mentioned. And so I kind of knew I had an in. Um, they already knew me. I was already familiar with a lot of the people there. And <sighs> working the front desk at that yoga studio was seriously, you guys, so much fun. Twice a week, I would get up at 5 a.m. I would get there. I think I would get there around like 5 or 5.15 to open the doors, turn on all the lights, open the studio, light a bunch of candles, turn on some music, just make sure everything's ready. And then right before 6 a.m., the, the teachers and the students would arrive and I would check everybody in and, you know, I would mop the floors and clean up the blocks and organize everything. And I would get to talk to people about yoga all day and just be in service. And then it like, I think at like 1.30 p.m. I would, I would go home and I'd be done with work for the day and I'd usually just go over to the, the office at Catalyst at the magazine and like try to finish up my work there. And it was 
so cool. It was so fun because I just got to be totally immersed in yoga at the same time that I was totally immersed in, um, you know, Buddhism and the Dharma. I was getting to work at a yoga studio where I got like free, unlimited access and I could go to all these classes and meet all of these teachers. And, and not only that, getting to sit behind the desk and get to know the teachers and get to talk to them. I would see the same teachers every week and this is where I really started to create a strong friendship with my business partner at Spacious Oasis, Mr. Perry Lane, because he taught the 11 a.m. on Thursdays. And, and we knew of each other. We were familiar with each other. He had done some work for the magazine. We had hung out in some festivals together. Um, you know, we'd both been in the yoga community since we were teenagers. And that experience got to help us really... Um, craft a friendship and he would always stay and just chat because we would just get into these great chats and god I think about some of the students that I met and I just really really loved loved working there and working there really really motivated me and made me want to step into that role of teacher like it really started to feel very strong And meeting other teachers who kind of saw that in me and supported that in me. And um, there was one teacher specifically that I'll shout out, Heather Skye, just like rainbow yogi unicorn queen. Such a kind, uh, I love her so much. And if she, I, I doubt she's listening, but if she is, uh, she really like, I think out of everyone, she kind of, she would say things to me like, so when are you going to teach a meditation class? Because I would talk to people and like meditation was my thing. That's what I really wanted to teach. And she kind of kept motivating me. And then she, she talked to a different studio and kind of got me a, a workshop space. And I decided I was going to host my first introduction to meditation workshop. Thanks to Heather. I don't think I ever really thought about that. She really kind of, kind of gave me that permission, you know, that space. And... Then, of course, I got really nervous because in Buddhism, like, not just anyone can teach meditation. Like, I'm a new student. I'm the youngest one there. And, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I started getting really insecure and, you know, all of that. And I kept wanting to talk to my Rinpoche about it. And my Rinpoches and my Lamas, they know I love them. They were very hard on me as a younger teacher. They're not anymore, but and as a younger student, um, they would be really, really hard on me, and that's kind of how it is at the Buddhist temple. Like, they want to make sure that you're serious and that you can take it. Um, and I kept trying to talk to them about, like, and specifically my Lama, who is like a dad to me. I kept trying to talk to him about, you know, I'm working at this yoga studio and I really want to teach a meditation class. Nope, you can't. <laughs> just like nope you're not ready sorry you, only only meditation here if people want to learn meditation you can send them here and every time I would get that response like I would just like want to growl and like talk back to him and like tell him that he doesn't know what he's talking about and pretty much be disrespectful which I would not and there was one night that he that I brought it up again, and this was when I was like actually starting to plan a class because I'm hearing Guru Rinpoche tell me to start teaching. And I'm trying to get the permission, I'm trying to get that blessing, and my llama is just like, nope, nope, nope. Like not even giving me the time of day. And finally, it was actually on my birthday. I, it feels like in Buddhism, my birthday was always... In, in this tradition, my birthday always had special times. And growing up, I, I was told many times that the Buddha's birthday was on April 7th too, which I have, I do not think that is true. But I read, I read or heard that somewhere. Anyways, I remember on my birthday, um, oh, and my Rinpoche hadn't been around. I don't remember where he had been, but he hadn't been around. So I hadn't really gone to talk to him. And it was on my birthday that he was back and I asked to go sit alone with him to have audience with him and um, I God, it's so embarrassing to look back I was such a crybaby all the time I went in and I sat in front of him and I immediately started crying and he was just like what's what's happening here and I was like 
Guru Rinpoche, he wants me to, he wants me to teach meditation, and I have to, I have to help people, I have to serve them. I, you know, I, you know, I do. And and he just was nodding and smiling, and he said, "Well, if Guru Rinpoche says you have to, then who are we to say differently?" And I'm just like, really? And he's like, "You are a yogi, my dear. Of course, I give you, I give you my blessing." And he put his hand up, and I, I leaned forward to receive it, and he put his hand on my head. And that blessing was the dopest, <laughs> most incredible energetic experience I've ever had. Like, I felt a blast of fire run from the crown of my head down to the root of my spine, and my whole body got really hot. It was incredible. Um, and I had the blessing to teach meditation, finally. And wow, I am loving sharing this with you guys because I forget about all these little aspects of my story. So I was ready to teach my first class, and I taught it at InBody Academy, which I thought was interesting because the people who run that academy, they're actually more dharma based a lot of them have a sangha um, and a lot of them are buddhists so i found that it was interesting that it wasn't my home studio it was a studio that kind of maybe valued me as a meditation teacher a little bit more and um the workshop just started selling people started signing up for it i had a full class i think i had 10 people in my very first class and it was such an honor. It was such an honor. And at that point, I had learned so much about meditating. I had really devoted myself to mastering meditation that I just felt so honored to share. And, and so if you know, you're listening and you're wondering, like, how did you get here, Jane? I started my business with one product with one service one offering and it was a beginner meditation workshop where I taught you a little a little bit of um, Taoist yoga that I learned from my teacher a little bit of a practice we call opening the gates um, really really simple energetic practice that I'm sure a lot of you have learned from me since then I would have them do a little bit of journaling um, ask them a few prompts, and then I would teach them three ways of meditating in the shine or shamatha style. Shine is Tibetan for calm abiding, and it's shamatha in Sanskrit. And I'm still teaching shamatha classes to this day. And it's just the idea that you're focusing your awareness on one thing. Your eyes are open, you're sitting in a perfect posture, seven-point posture, and you're observing this one object single pointed focus and as we can start to let our mind focus on one thing we start to find that calm that calm abiding and so when we have that calm abiding experience that's when we start beginning the mind training that's when we start laying the foundations of the mind training we you know a lot of people they jump into mindfulness and vipassana and insight and visualizations but we should really just start with a few minutes at a time of shine, shamatha. So I would have them focus on breathing, counting your breath for five minutes, gazing at a candle for five minutes, and observing the smell of incense burning for five minutes. And then I would have them journal about their experience because I think it's really important as you're learning to meditate to journal afterwards and write about what it was like and then start a discussion with a circle of what it was like so that we can all share. And, and it's crazy to me how, how wanted and needed at this time it was. This was probably, I want to say 2017. 2018 wow I have no idea I have no idea what year it was um, but teaching these really basic beginner meditation classes was so needed it was so wanted I I started hosting more workshops at other places 
and eventually I, I settled in at a place called Natural Law Apothecary down on the west, on the west side of downtown and um, started teaching Wednesday night meditation classes. And that was, that was really exciting because I got to sit down every week and, and just teach what felt present. And at that point, I stopped structuring my classes so much. I stopped planning so heavily. And I would just show up. And students would always show up. I never had an empty class. It was so incredible. And eventually at Natural Law Apothecary, I got my own room as a Reiki healer. And that's when I started offering a um, private one-on-one Reiki healers, Reiki healing sessions. And so a lot of my meditation students who were curious would come see me for Reiki. And then they tell their friends. And that's where I started my community. Um, and that's how I stepped into the role of teacher. <sighs> yeah. And it was really, really, really fun. All of that really set the foundation, you know, for where I am now. You've got to just, if it, you know, if you're listening and you're wanting to become a teacher and maybe you don't have the, maybe you don't feel like you have the credentials Maybe you don't feel like you know exactly what you're doing yet, but you're feeling that call to be a teacher in some way. You've just got to start getting in front of people. You know, maybe you like to read cards. Maybe you like to play singing bowls. You know, um, you can start with tools and just start creating offerings and getting in front of people, giving them for free, you know, asking your friends if they want to come over for a goddess night, for a, a full moon ceremony, and bringing women together in community and, and creating a conversation, you know, that's something that I feel like I'm telling everyone. It seems like it's coming up in so many of my one-on-ones and in my readings, like, are you creating a space for women to come together? And the answer is always, I've thought about it. Well, you should. Literally, whoever you are, have you created a space for women to come together and be in, in community, meditate together, talk together, laugh, share, share your experiences? That was another thing I was doing. I was having a lot of goddess nights getting women together in group and just holding space for each other. And usually we would just drink wine and have fun, but there were some nights when we would, you know, one would really need support and we would all talk through things together and just building that community, you know, that's what you need to do. It's not about go find a meditation teacher certification or go get Reiki certified or if you want to do those things, that's great. But if you want to be of service, just start gathering people together and holding space for them in whatever way that feels organic for you. You don't have to have anything to offer but your space. You know, and I think especially where we are right now in this era, what we need more than ever is people gathering together in community. And there's something really, really special that happens when women gather together in community, meditating together, sharing with each other with that intention. So, yeah. I have so much more to share than just that, you know? So, but I really don't want this podcast to be so egocentric. I don't want it to be so much about me. I am looking forward to bringing some guests on the show. So my goal is that for the next episode, you hear my first guest on the show. I'm going to ask her to set a time with me today to be my first interview. And I am looking forward to bringing more guests on the show. So you have any questions or anything specific that you'd like to talk to me about just reach out to me let me know if you listened today and you felt inspired by anything I would love to hear from you reach out to me let me know how you're doing and 
devotion initiates at the end of this month. We're getting together the week of August 23rd for a 12-week container of devotion, <laughs> right? So what I think is really exciting about this, which I've already kind of mentioned, the, the deep spiritual longing that, that has kind of pulled this energy into place, the effortlessness that has kind of pulled this group together. We have Maddie, Lauren, Malika, Christina, these incredible women that are so ready to come into Sangha with you. They're so ready to come into Sangha with you. Sangha is spiritual community. And connect with each other in that way of, of embodying the life of a yogi and supporting ourselves with our spiritual friends. We need our spiritual friends. We need our spiritual community. And what we're going to be exploring is what it means to us and our soul as individuals, what it means to be a yogi and what path we want to walk. And I had such a, I had, I had such a little celebration when I heard one of my students the other night, Christina, she said, I've been really getting into Tai Chi lately. I found a teacher and, and I've been going to this um, mantra group where we've been chanting, and I'm starting to realize all the facets of yoga. And I was just like, yes, yes, you're getting it. All the facets of yoga, all of these practices that are yoga, that come together to bring us down this path of devotion, that help us walk into these dharma gates, that help us to move forward into our lives as bodhisattvas so that we can learn to heal our energy so that we can learn to purify our speech so that we can train our minds to be more clear so that we can actually walk the path as yogis on that sacred solid ground of knowing what we're doing knowing the background we're going to get into the history of yoga, the history of Buddhism. We're going to get into yoga philosophy, Ayurveda, and we're going to explore the subtle body. And during that three months, right, so much can happen in three months. So much transformation can happen. And can you imagine what would happen to you if you spent three months in full devotion and dedication to your practices, to your path, to your awakening, to your well-being, and to your service of others. For my teachers and my healers and coaches, this program is going to be motivating us, inspiring us, and holding us up to that new standard of service, stepping into your bodhisattvahood, activating your healing hands, activating your third eye, and of course, if you want to, have the private yogi healer business coaching from me, we can start getting your business up off the ground, rolling, running forward, so that you can thrive and feel taken care of and supported and protected as you live this life of service. Because you deserve that. And so can you imagine what would happen over three months of being in this container with these women and maybe men, with these dakinis, with these wisdom holders, while we're all connecting to meditate together, to study together, to explore the subtle body together, and to hold each other to a higher standard of living, to following the yogi's path. Yeah, let's just take a breath in here with that. Whatever you're doing, if you can, I want you to inhale and reach your arms up overhead and just stretch up tall. And then as you exhale, just let your hands float down in front of you. Good. Thank you so much for sharing your space with me today. Thank you so much for just opening and for being curious, I guess, for wanting to hear about how I became a meditation teacher. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for this next episode, for next time, you're going to hear about someone else's story. I might be a big part of their story, but you're going to get to hear a lot about them. And I'm excited to share more bodhisattvas and light workers with you on this show. So thank you for being here today. Remember you are so loved. Remember that I love you. And remember
remember to be kind to yourself and others today and always.